50 high school senior girls descend on Mobile, Alabama every summer to compete for a massive cash prize. It isn't Survivor. It's one of America's most lucrative scholarship competitions for teen girls. It's been around for seven decades. Now you'll hear what took place behind the scenes. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery comes the competition. Host Shima Oliai was Nevada's contestant 20 years ago. Now she's returning as a judge to find out what two weeks with 50 of the country's most ambitious teens can tell us about girlhood in America. What happens when the competitors are thrown into the deep end with the best and brightest? And how does surviving the competition prepare them for everything that comes after? Follow the competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Isabel. And welcome to another episode of Comments by Bravo. Here he is. Hi, Em. How does it feel to be back? Oh, it feels amazing. So much went on while we were gone and we were just bursting at the seams to talk about it. I think literally every possible thing that could have happened, happened. And, you know, it was nice to have a week off, but I'm just so glad we're back. I wish you guys could have seen Isabel and I like together because we were physically together away for nine days and this stuff is happening and we like don't have an episode to talk about it on. And I think we forgot what that was like because normally we don't have to like make time to talk about these things because we know that we're coming on for over an hour and discussing it all. And we like didn't have that. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. No, like I'd be yelling from the other room, like, Emma, look what she just wrote on Instagram. (laughs) Julie was like, what is going on? I'm like, just don't worry about it. Like, we're just talking about (laughs) Kathy Hilton again. So full disclosure with you guys, we just recorded this entire episode. I'll tell you how we did it in a second. We did OC, Beverly Hills, whatever. But like in the Beverly Hills section, we obviously talked about the housewife and the hustler. And we were saying the report that after the documentary came out, Eric's legal team has withdrawn. And now as we were recording the New York segment, a report just came out. We don't know if this is 100% accurate because so far it's only been posted by the Bravo docket on Instagram and then by Radar Online. I just want to read you what is being reported because in case by the time this episode comes out, what we said about her legal team withdrawing is actually no longer the case. We want to like cover our bases. But at the time we are re-recording this intro, there's a report that says Erica Girardi's counsel has withdrawn their motion to withdraw meaning they will continue to represent her in Tom Girardi's bankruptcy proceedings. Their relationship with Erica must no longer be, quote, irreparably damaged. Because, as we talked about in the Housewife and the Hustler section, after the documentary came out, they allegedly had pulled out, said that the, you know, client-lawyer relationship was was violated and it was irreparable. So I, I don't know if that's true, but we feel like we had to come back on and just make that kind of caveat. It's yeah, it's really crazy. And I wonder how that feels for Erica now that her team, like knowing that her team wanted to withdraw and then they aren't anymore. Like, how does that affect the trust and vice versa? Like, wow, this is just, just when you think it's gotten as crazy as possible, it gets a little crazier. Like, I thought it was crazy that they were withdrawing, and now it's even almost crazier that they're withdrawing their request to withdraw. I mean, if this is true, I think we, I think we cut it. Like, I think we redid this part, but Isabel's literally talking about Ebony's election party. And all of a sudden I'm like, holy shit. I think the lawyers just withdraw the withdraw. She's like, what? (laughs) What the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) Oh my God. Anyway. So what we did with this episode, and I think maybe we'll put music just to kind of separate this, but we did the OC news. And then instead of kind of doing it where we normally do all the news first, in the Beverly Hills section, we talked about the documentary, all of it kind of together. And in the New York section, we talked about some of Heather Thompson's Watch What Happens comments. So it's OC, Beverly Hills, New York, Housewife and Hustler mixed in. And 
I had a really good time just now. Did you? The best time. Are you kidding? We always do. Okay. Well, let us cut to the episode. We love you guys. Okay. As you all know, there was a major Orange County cast shakeup. Bronwyn Kelly and Elizabeth are leaving and Heather Dubrow is back on our screens. Give me your immediate reaction. You guys know how I feel about Heather Dubrow. I'm so obsessed with her. I listen to her podcast religiously. We've met her a couple of times. I, this is like truly the best thing that they ever could have done. Now everyone is so just excited and the spark has been reinvigorated in the show. This is the cast kind of shakeup that we needed. There's also going to be two new women. We don't know who they are yet, but the fact that Bronwyn, Elizabeth, and Kelly Dodd are not coming back, I think is going to make such a huge difference in the dynamic. And this is like, really, this is what they needed at this point because it wasn't a normal recasting season situation. Like the whole show was kind of on the line here and they really made the right choice. Yeah. And honestly, I feel very heard. I don't know if you guys feel that way as well, but I feel like we've been saying for how many months now that OC needs to do something like this. And I'm just so glad they did. And also, you know, it's not that common that a first season housewife just really stays for one season. And it's not that I have anything, you know, inherently against Elizabeth, but it was the right call. And I'm glad they kind of made that call. And then to be honest with you, I am just shocked that Heather agreed to it. Like the few times that we've spoken to her about it on, you know, on our podcast or her podcast, she was very seemingly firmly against it. I really did not think she would come back. No, I didn't either. I thought she was really kind of past that stage of her life. It felt really natural when she left, just the timing of her kids' ages and also that her business and Terry's, that they were both like expanding in so many different directions and kind of had moved past being on the show. But I like that it's been long enough. Like she was on from season seven to season 11. It's been long enough that it kind of like erases any parts of her that no people didn't like on the show. Like if she was getting backlash, it's been long enough that the nostalgia is now there and it kind of overrides anyone's feelings that they had about her before. And I highly, highly recommend after you finish this, you listen to Andy on Heather's podcast because they talk about her coming back and the cast shakeup and all of that. But you know, just kind of like her experience as being a housewife. She's in an interesting position of leaving and coming back after a couple seasons, which Bethany did. I'm sure a couple of other have done. He said there's another housewife who's in a similar position. I'm dying to know who it is. But yeah, it's just like, it's just the best thing. And I'm so grateful that she decided to do it. Two things. One, I'm praying that it's Dorinda. And second of all, I think also with Heather, and I don't know, obviously, but there's something to be said for like feeling wanted in a way. And I feel like people were really craving her or just some of that, you know, energy. And I can't help but wonder. And I saw a meme that was like, I would do anything to see Tamara and Vicky's text. Fucking same. Fucking same. I think Heather said it best too on her podcast. Like, They were missing a little bit of the fun and the glamour. And to me, that is exactly what she's going to bring to the show. And I'm excited to see how she meshes with these women. And also, if the new cast members are maybe people that she brings in or has connections to, or just even how she interacts being such, not an OG, but like she's been there from season seven to 11, how that will affect the dynamics. It's just, it's just genius. I really have nothing else to say besides chef's kiss. 
Yes. And the only other thing that I want to add is that it's not that glamour or wealth makes a good housewife by any means. However, that kind of level of like an aspirational lifestyle is what the show, specifically Orange County, because it was the first franchise was built on. And there needs to be some element of that somewhere threaded throughout the show. And like you said, with OC, it really wasn't there. Even with Elizabeth, it was kind of dwindling away because there was always questions about it. And it doesn't need to be the focus, but I just like it to be somewhere in the background when you're watching these shows. And she definitely brings that. Definitely. And fashion and just like her family is really interesting. They're, the kids are much older now and they're all going through really different like storylines. And yeah, she's going to be great. I'm sure you guys saw this, but Kelly, which I think in her mind was very much a power move, posted her text between her and Bronwyn, where she's basically asserting the fact that she was fired because she was conservative. And to watch social media's reaction to, again, what I think Kelly thought was like a real flex was hilarious because she just came off so poorly, but her lack of self-awareness is so strong that she couldn't even see that before posting. Like Vicky's comment when when she was like, how did you guys get these screenshots? And I think it was Christian Gray Snow who responded, Kelly posted them, Vicky. No, there's no words for Kelly Dodd. It's really, she's also in a huge feud right now from with Gigi and like from Shaws of Sunset. And I I just don't, I really will never understand. And I think she probably was feeling the weight of everybody celebrating her leaving and felt like she wanted to like do something really I, – I literally don't know. I can't even justify it, but wow. I think this is going to be just a really interesting thing to watch go down on social media. Yeah. I can't wait and we will be here for the ride, will we not? Yep. We will definitely be here. Let's talk Beverly Hills. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. It's the best franchise. <laughs> like <laughs> – I know I know that oftentimes I say that about Potomac, and I do think that Potomac could be a very close second, but Beverly Hills is just on some other shit. I know, I know, but I'm just getting so antsy with these cliffhanger endings. Like, I want to get to it. I want to get to the meat. I don't, I love the dramatic shot of Erica walking in and slamming the door and like looking at all the women, and it's the first time they're all seeing her. Trust me, I love it. But I, I want to see – like I need the answers at this point. And if we don't get them next week, I'm literally going to combust. I think that I'm in the minority because I don't care. Like obviously I care about getting it, but I'm loving this slow buildup. I feel like I'm exactly the target the production wanted of like the viewer that's not getting annoyed but is just really living for this slow build. I guess because in some ways we already have the answers, but – I just want to know what she's going to say. Like, this is, a, what, a day or two after she's filed from divorce. What were you and I talking about on our podcast at the very moment that she was arriving at Sutton's house for this party and having to explain it to her friends? Like, that is what I'm just really dying to see because I think we've been waiting since it happened in real time to see what the cameras were picking up and see what she'll say in a confessional and also her point of view. And maybe it's even changed since the show filmed. I don't know, but God, I'm excited. But listen, they're definitely entertaining us in the meantime. I'm not going to say that. I mean, you and I have spoken for how many months, not just us, us, our audience, everyone on social media saying, do you guys realize we are getting the women's reactions to finding this out? And we did. I mean, to me, that was a huge thing that we got. And watching, I I don't know, 
you can totally like classify this as naivety and tell me what you think. I believe Lisa and I believe Kyle and I believe they're all of their genuine shocks. So do I, especially because they had just been away together for a couple of days and were seemingly in pretty good communication. Rinna and Erica are, I think, the closest out of everybody. They've always had a really special and close connection that was very real and I think surpassed even being on the show. So to see Rinna get that news and be FaceTiming and and say, I had literally no idea. She never mentioned it. And then you see Erica has said to Garcelle on the boat, you know, oh, I just talked to Tom. He's working. He's such a worker. Like literally not even trying to skirt around it, just answering it as normal. Like I keep saying, if we had no idea, we would have no idea. Let me ask you, how do you think that the women handled it in terms of Obviously, we haven't seen them really interacting with her yet, but how do you think they handled it in their own reactions, both together and then in their confessionals? I think so far they handled it well because keep in mind right now, we're just dealing with Erica filed for divorce from Tom. That's it. Like there's none, you know, maybe there's rumblings of some of the money issues that he had going on, but it wasn't about that. Like this, it wasn't this huge, like larger than life crime thing the way that we think about it now. So it was way more simple. I mean, I don't I think they're handling it the best that they can. I also think they probably had a lot of conversations off camera, you know, just more like raw and honest than they maybe were willing to be on camera and say things that they wouldn't want Erica to hear. I don't know. Like I think so far there's not much to say, but they handled it I guess as to be expected, just really shocked and kind of wanting answers and trying to figure out where this all is coming from and knowing, I think, that there's maybe more than just we fell out of love. Oh, for sure. I mean, in The Housewife and the Hustler, I can't believe I'm about to cite Dana Wilkie, but when Dana Wilkie was saying, you know, there have been rumblings in Beverly Hills and the general context was that it was financial. That's a very different story than Tom is a complete scam artist and is being heavily sued and basically is a complete fraud. Having financial issues is very run of the mill, especially in Beverly Hills. To me, that still does not describe the extent of what was going on. No, not at all. But in their minds, I think probably everyone that they're friends with has some sort of legal money drama, especially Tom is a high-powered lawyer. Like That's almost like not normal, but pretty normal, especially when you're dealing with that level of wealth. So to them, that probably wasn't like a huge red flag of anything that would cause them to divorce or force them to divorce, or there was some reason she had to do it. I think it was, which one of them said this, but like that there, you know, Erica had to do something and there was a reason that she couldn't tell us about it. Like there was reasons, but I don't think they ever would think that they would go this deep. Oh, no way. I mean, there's something really, I don't know if it's eerie is the right word, but there is something that is very interesting about watching people react to a situation when you know that they don't know the full magnitude yet, because it's almost like this perceived level of innocence in a way, you know, and they have, I, I don't want to say the luxury, but they have the ability to kind of have their reactions documented before they knew anything else. That's very rare. We know so much now. We know too much now. So for me, I guess I feel like I'm savoring this moment of almost just pure shock and innocence before we have to really get into how dark it actually is. 
I know, especially because they love Erica. And at the end of the day, that's their friend and they want to be there to support her publicly and privately. So now they're all put kind of in a really hard position of what was her role in this, in this terrible crime and how much did she know or not know? And like, we have to support her and stand by her. But also does that mean we're standing by someone who really did people wrong? Like it, it just all gets so much more complicated I guess we'll see how it plays out. I still am just dying to know if Erica will show up or will be able to show up at the reunion because I think that would be like, that's what we need is to see Erica after all of this, after it's played out, after the documentary comes out, after the season plays out, after more and more has come out and facts and trial and, you know, her lawyers, we'll get into that in a minute, like, That's what I want to see now is the most updated version of Erica, and I just don't know if we're going to get it. So Mother's Day is coming up, and I know sometimes it can be difficult figuring out what to get your mom because realistically, no gift is going to do justice for how much you love and appreciate her. But I'm sure you've done the classic, you know, bathrobe, candle, sweaters, gift cards. If you're looking to mix it up, I want to tell you about Aura Frames. So they were named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter. And it's just the kind of gift that is guaranteed to bring joy because realistically, there's nothing our parents love more than seeing us. So for them to be able to see more of us, even if you don't live close by, like that is probably the best gift you could give a parent. They're Wi-Fi connected. They come with unlimited storage. So you can share as many photos as you want from your phone to your mom's frame. And it's easy to set up. It takes about two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. We have one in my kitchen and... Every time my dad comes down for breakfast, like it just makes him so happy. There's pictures of me, pictures of me and my parents when I was little, pictures of my grandparents. Like I think as a parent, you never get sick of that. And it's just the kind of gift I know she will love. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code CBC at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. You know, let's just switch gears for a second. This seems like the right time. Let's talk a little bit about the documentary because the rest of the episode, we can talk about Crystal and Sutton and Dorit and Kyle in a moment, but let's just get into this for a second. Obviously, we're not going to recap the whole thing, but my thing on it was obviously I thought it was fascinating to watch. Not that we necessarily learned so much. It's not like we got all of the answers, but we got a lot. It painted a pretty good picture. And we can talk about that, but really the most telling thing from the documentary is the aftermath and her lawyers withdrawing, which is a huge deal. It's a very huge deal. I'm just going to read you guys one paragraph from the People article. It says, Erica Girardi's attorneys have moved to withdraw from representing her following the release of a new documentary exploring the legal troubles she and estranged husband Tom Girardi are facing. According to court documents obtained by People, Dinsmore and Scholl LLP, the law firm representing her in Tom's Chapter 7 bankruptcy case, filed paperwork to withdraw as her counsel on Tuesday. Erica was notified of their withdrawal on Monday, the same day the Hulu documentary, The Housewife and the Hustler, dropped. Quote, the relationship of trust and confidence that is essential to a properly functioning attorney-client relationship has broken down and, in the good faith assessment of counsel, the relationship is irreparable, the lawyer wrote in the document. The firm also said they've advised Erica to seek new representation and have warned her of, quote, the potential consequences of not timely securing replacement counsel. I mean, oh my God, I can't 
even think of a bigger repercussion of the documentary dropping, a documentary that she wasn't even a part of, probably didn't even approve. Yeah, that's a pretty big deal. I mean, I can't help but wonder because, you know, here's here's what I think it is. And I don't know if this is similar to how you're feeling or if anybody else is feeling this way. It's like, in general, there's already been so much mystery surrounding Erica. And on one hand, you know, her lack of kind of vulnerability is something that she's been criticized for, but also it was part of her allure. It was part of what made people interested because you wanted to break it down. So while we love the people that show us everything, we also have a level of extended interest in those who don't. And so I feel like if this was happening to Rinna or to Kyle or to somebody like Teresa or somebody that we really, really know them and we really, really know their reactions, we would maybe have an easier time. Whereas I, when I think about it and I try to imagine Erica alone in her LA rental, I don't know what her phone calls look like to her friends. I don't know what her moments look like because I feel like I don't know if I've ever seen the real her. I know. It, it's really hard for us to like imagine. Again, like what I was just saying about her friends, I also feel like it extends to us as viewers. The show makes you fall in love with these people and does that on purpose and wants us to be really intrigued in these characters and care about what's going on with them. So then when something like this happens, of course, especially after watching the documentary and hearing firsthand stories from the families, I am so appalled and upset and it's beyond but it's also like you can't help human nature and I would not wish anyone to go through something like this again it's also hard because we don't know the level of what she knew versus what she didn't and what she condoned and what she let slide under the rug like it there's so many question marks and it's like I feel so bad for the victims I wish this never happened I feel bad for her that this is going down in such a public forum and then I just, it's a lot. It's a lot to follow along with. There was a moment in the documentary when they were kind of just talking about how her being on the show really showcased their wealth in a way that was kind of frowned upon among lawyers. You know, there are certain professions where that is, I don't want to say more acceptable, but if you're a plastic surgeon, nobody is faulting you necessarily for showing off your wealth in that way. Whereas when you're a lawyer, specifically the type that Tom is, and you are not just representing high-powered people, you're also representing very innocent working class people who have been wronged. You don't need everybody to understand the extent of your wealth. And there was one specific line that one of the commentators said where he said, we sue the man. You don't want to be the man. And to me, I thought that was such a strong line. It really stuck with me. I wrote it down the second I heard it because I don't know if when I watched the show for the first time, of course, my initial reaction, just like it is with anybody else that goes on, whether you're, you know, Dubrow or you're Judice or whoever is showing a lot of wealth, you just wonder, okay, is this, is this okay? Kind of. But a level up, I didn't have it from the context of how would I feel watching this if I was one of his clients? I don't think I had a good enough understanding in the beginning of Beverly Hills as to like his level of clientele. And it really put it in perspective for me in a way that it hadn't before. That's what I think a lot of people are feeling right now. Not even that the show necessarily elevated it, but just that that was their general way of being was that they were going around and flaunting their wealth. They weren't trying to keep it kind of I don't know, subtle, telling everybody they had two planes and then going on national television. Like it's one thing around town to be flaunting it, that's bad enough, but then to make it the baseline story of your 
a character on a show is like it was really frowned upon. And I think everyone after watching this is just feeling like, okay, it's one thing to hear the stories and read them on paper and feel bad for these victims, but then to actually hear their stories and hear things that Tom has said to these families directly and their relationship and how much they trusted him. And this is like life or death and family and that that trust was completely ruined and like the things that went down, it's heartbreaking. To hear it firsthand from these people is just, it's beyond heartbreaking. And I think everyone, although I said, you know, we feel bad for Erica and all that, after watching this, it's it's just different. I can't explain it, but it's just different. And I think people will definitely feel probably a lot more negatively towards her. And it may also change the perspective in which we watch the show because it's like, what do you know? And, you know, we're hearing these families' stories in the back of our mind and also just what these other lawyers had to say. I don't necessarily take what Danielle Staub and Dana Wilkie are saying so, like, to heart because I think they're just trying to give a housewife's perspective and they wouldn't be my first choice. But definitely the other lawyers and professionals who really know how things like this can happen. And then, of course, from the victims, like, it's impossible to not have that just stained in your mind. Oh, Beyonce, it was heartbreaking. It was absolutely terrible, especially listening to those mothers talk. I mean, you can't, I don't think you can watch that and not just have a pit in your stomach. But on top of that, something that I think about a lot, and we've spoken about this, I think, with Jen Shaw, we've spoken about it with Joe Judice. It's like, if you know that you're engaging in illegal activity, why would you then want your entire life broadcasted? Because if history goes to repeat itself as it normally does, that will come out. The truth will come out and then you will be already more in a visible position and you're going to get fucked basically. And so let's say just for purposes of this conversation that Erica didn't know what was going on at all. Tom still gave her the green light to do this. And it's like, there's two levels because what what this lawyer was saying in the, we sue the man, you don't want to be the man quote, he wasn't talking about it necessarily from the perspective of like, Tom's doing all this illegal activity. Why would he want it to be shown? He's saying in general, even if all of your money is being made completely ethically, it's just not a good look as your position as that lawyer. But to take that a step further, aside from like the general level, if you know that what you're doing is so deeply illegal and morally corrupt, why are you then allowing your wife to put everything out there. So that's like the level of delusion and narcissism and really feeling of invincibility. If you think that there's even a a slight chance that you get caught, you don't do this unless you get off in some really weird, like mentally stimulating way on the potential and kind of that danger. I just don't know the answer. Like, I just don't know. I I really think invincible is definitely the right word. I think he felt like he is the top lawyer. You know, Aaron Brockovich really probably put him in a different state of mind where he is the lawyer that you think of when you think of lawyers and big cases and his huge firm and he's jetting all over the world. Like everyone wants to be like him. He's the top dog in the game. Like I just think he probably felt untouchable. And it's also not like he was coming on the show that much. Like you felt almost like, oh, he wants to be subtle. You know, he doesn't want to be part of the show, which now when you look back, he was on it enough. But also, Erica was revealing everything else about their life, regardless if he was there or not. She was showing off 
that they have a chapel inside their home and taking the women on trips on their private planes that technically I think are part of Tom's business, but she's, you know, jetting them off to Vegas or wherever they wanted to go on these planes. Saying how much she spends on glam, that's a line that's been repeated over and over. Like all of the things about their private financials were put out there regardless if he was on the show or not. So I think he thought, you know, as long as I'm not on the show and my business isn't being documented, maybe it's fine and my wife can just be her crazy self and it can be chalked up to that she's a performer and she's making money from that. But it just it's just not the case at all. No, it's not the case at all. And yeah, I you're right. I think now that I have a little bit of a different insight, I think that his entire approach of staying a little bit more behind the scenes when it came to the show, and you're right, he was seen. It wasn't like he wasn't there at all, but he obviously didn't have as much involvement as like Mauricio or PK or some of the other husbands. I think he may have thought that that was enough, you know, that that gave him enough separation in the eyes of the viewers where in a way it it didn't feel as intrusive as some of these other lawyers were painting it out to be. And also, by the way, obviously there's a huge part of him that, you know, needs people to understand his level of wealth. And I think we, it's really, it's really kind of crazy that we um, felt this way when I think about back on it, but the way that Erica always made it out to be was while they were living one of the most lavish lifestyles, you still felt this a general aura of like understatedness from him. And you almost felt as though all of the extravagance was coming from her. And so, yeah, he was the one making the money. Now I say, quote, making the money, but he still almost seemed very kind of reserved and refined. And she was the one that wanted all this lavish stuff. And it's it's kind of crazy that we were like under that, under that guise for a while. I know. And then it's also like they've been together for so long and there was a long time she said she was traveling around and she was just his kind of sidekick going all around the world with him, whatever he needed to do. Like, oh, I don't know. It just, it's the most fascinating thing. I stick by what I said, I think when we first found out about the documentary, that it feels a little early to have a documentary, but I do think it informed us a lot, just kind of what was going on, especially like, I don't know that much about law and how these things could go down. I think this documentary kind of put it in more simple layman's terms, but we of course got to hear firsthand stories of like really what went down instead of just reading it, you know, numbers, like this felt more personal and it really like got you right in the heart. But You know, I think Andy said it best on Radio Andy. He said, I don't think the documentary will affect her future on the show. I will say the idea that Danielle Staub and Dana Wilkie are the experts in this documentary about Erica is questionable at best. So I kind of realized I wasn't going to learn anything new from them about Erica, he said. The Tom Girardi stories continue to be deeply disturbing, and we have to see how this plays out. Honestly, that for me really sums up exactly how I'm feeling too. Well, we didn't, you know, learn anything from Dana and Danielle. What we saw the most, the re, the to me, the reason for this documentary was really just to learn about the victim stories because when you hear them explain the trust they placed in Tom and the way in which they viewed him, and then the way in which they were just like so deceived, and you know, when they're talking with Joe's family, who was the man that was injured in the San Bruno gas pipeline explosion in 2010, you know, you 
watched the way that they were talking about Tom's interactions with them. And he was supposed to pay, let's say, $12 million, however much it was. And he kind of had this whole convoluted thing about investments and paying it over time and really fed them the story that they believed. But in all of their interactions and the voicemails that he would leave, he would say things like, please don't be mad at me. You know I'm a good guy. And the frequency with which he used that line was very alarming and very disturbing and very kind of indicative of a little bit of sociopathic <laughs> nature. Yeah. yeah. Well, I you think know, because that's really what he thought of himself as. And he thought, you know, everyone thinks of me like that. Of course they do. I'm the top guy. And then when you meet me, you don't think of me as this wealthy, high-powered attorney. I'm this like mushy, nice, warm man, by the way, which all of us felt too. I mean, I remember us over quarantine when Beverly Hills was premiering last season, just gushing over Tom that when they went to her house and how he was so character, like he was just so warm and funny and smart and like he was captivating in a way. So, I mean, I get it. We, we were cast under that spell just from a couple minutes of him on television. So imagine him giving his whole pitch as your lawyer and he'll protect you. And it also really struck me to think about their position. One of the family friends of Joe's family said, you know, when these things go wrong, who are we supposed to call? We can't call the DA, that's Tom's friends. We can't go to the chief of police, that's Tom's friend. You can't go to the California attorney general, that's his friend. You can't go to the California bar, that's his friend. He's the most well-connected guy. Where do you even begin to start with this? You don't. They were so trapped. And the other thing that like cannot be ignored is a lot of times in these situations, you know, you look back and you say, wow, that person really kind of deceived them just by the words that they were saying and their general presence and they had nothing to show for it. That's not the case here. Aside from being like seemingly sociopathic and a great liar and all that other stuff, he also was a good lawyer. He also did actual good work. I mean, he won, what, 330 something million in the Aaron Brockovich case. Like this is a guy that knew what he was doing. And so it's not even like, you know, these these victims look back at themselves and it's like, wow, he, what were we believing? No, you were believing a very legitimate track record, especially like one of them said something like, you want the guy that's just as mad at these companies as you are. And he has proven time and time again that he gets just as mad at these companies as they are. And so that's why the level of like deceit is to me even more amplified because not that they ever should, but you can't even feel stupid for believing him because he had legitimate shit to show for. Yeah. No, they didn't just fall for some like greasy salesman who was going to promise results and not bring them through. They've seen the results that they're possible. Another thing, like the last thing I want to talk about is when they played that clip of him from 2020 when he's saying, you know, my money's all gone. He said, I at one point I had 80 million or 50 million in cash that's all gone. I don't have any money. To hear that directly from his mouth in a tape that is, I guess, almost a year old was chilling. Because again, I say we can read about it, you can hear it. And then to hear it straight from his mouth was just like, whoa, this is fucking real. Right. And then, you know, they're talking about his Alzheimer's diagnosis and how, you know, what, like, a few months before that, he was making very public 
speeches at events and stuff. And so that one guy, I think Brian was saying like, listen, I'm never going to comment on whether or not this is a legitimate diagnosis. That being said, the timing of it all does seem a little bit interesting considering what I knew he was doing just very recently. You know, that there, there's a real underlying level of, I keep using this word, but it's the only word I, I think exemplifies it like eeriness. It is really eerie. The whole thing is just eerie and scary. And I mean, I think we're just at the beginning of it, truly. Yeah, no, we definitely are. And the the final thing I will say, which clearly is not the takeaway from this documentary, the clear takeaway is like, these victims deserve justice. And the fact that they were willing to tell them their stories is something that I am forever appreciative of. On top of that, as a total side note, I know Danielle Staub gets a lot of shit and it's very understandable and very deserved. That being said, there is a reason she has sustained herself because she's so fucking like <laughs> she's such she's so enigmatic you know what i mean like you can't believe this person is real yeah that's i guess a nice way to put it have you ever noticed how celebrities have brighter whiter looking eyes their makeup artists have a little secret in their kit lumify redness reliever eye drops lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute It literally happens right before your eyes to help them look brighter, whiter, and more awake for up to eight hours. No wonder it's so loved by influencers, celebrities, and makeup artists, and has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. Lumify is also the number one eye doctor recommended redness reliever eye drop, and it's FDA approved. No bleach, no dyes, plus it's made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb. So whether you're on set, on a date, or running on just a few hours of sleep, you can have eyes that look brighter and whiter with Lumify Eye Drops. When you try it, you'll see that it's what your eyes have been looking for. Check out lumifyeyes.com to learn more. I don't know. You want to go back to Kyle's election party? Sure. So first, let me just give a trigger warning for bulimia and eating disorders here. But this was a really kind of interesting and uncomfortable moment for us to unpack because we all know obviously the backstory between Crystal and Sutton and they just did not really take to each other kind of things are solved now everything is fine but when they're out there sitting and Crystal makes the comment that when she got back she realized that she had lost five pounds from the weekend and we have to like really break this down because the women's immediate reaction is one of kind of like joking and celebration of like, oh, please, Sutton's almost like, hey, you should thank me for that stress. You know, who doesn't want to lose five pounds? And it's not until Crystal kind of explains to them, no, I actually am recovering bulimic. And they immediately have to kind of like backtrack and realize that weight loss is not something that should just be objectively and unconditionally celebrated. And there's so much here. And like, Psychologists, I feel like, could study this one few minute scene in depthly, but this is exactly what I always talk about. I how many times have we spoken about this on the regular podcast, on this podcast, about how like you cannot assert your own relationship with weight onto anyone else because them even momentarily celebrating that, which they think is like the normal and acceptable and kind thing to do in the moment, again, well intentioned can have such a negative impact on the person that's receiving it. And that was such a clear example of that. It's true. I think it's what we talk about all the time of like, you don't know how it's received when you 
think you're giving a compliment of like, oh my God, you look so thin or wow, have you lost weight? And your intentions can be 100% pure and you just want to give somebody a compliment, but you have no idea what is going on with somebody on the other end. And this was literally the pinnacle example of what that can feel like and how that can go down. Crystal was just happened to be brave and open enough in the moment to kind of share back why that's a problem for her. But I think a lot of times, probably most of the time, people aren't going to do that. And then they kind of just internalize it and it can make problems much, much worse. Well, keep in mind, she said, you know, later on, I think to Rob, she wasn't necessarily planning on sharing this. So I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means she was going to tell them, you know, I lost five pounds due to the stress just to kind of illustrate how she was feeling. And that was going to be it. Or was it because she was prompted by their overwhelming congratulations that she felt like, hold on, let me pump the brakes here and let me explain to you why this is not something to be celebrated. Like, I don't know how far she was planning on going when she just said the five pounds thing. If their reaction was one of, you know, concern or just like, wow, that that really shows how stressed you are and I'm sorry that that happened, would she have said anything else? Or did she almost feel kind of a responsibility to like educate and inform them based on the unintended ignorance of their reaction? I don't know. Yeah. I kind of think she was expecting to use it as a form of illustrating how stressed out she really was, like that there's something almost to show for it, that this is like literally how stressed I was. I lost weight from it and wasn't expecting them, I don't know, to celebrate it and to make it almost a joke in a way or kind of make it way more lighthearted than she intended. And then when they did that, I think she was saying like, no, that's not what I'm talking about. And also you doing this is triggering because I'm recovering. So yeah, I think that's kind of what happened. And in the moment she just like kind of said it. I don't think she was planning on coming out to them about it in that moment. It seems from her conversation with Rob, she doesn't really talk about it with that many people at all. Even later on, I think when Rinna brings it up at the party, she's like, you know, Rob and I barely talk about it. So I don't know. I think she kind of just pulled it out at that moment. It felt right. And it felt like, like you said, a chance to educate them, but also kind of just to share part of her story and where she's coming from when she says something like that. Yeah. And I, I agree with Rinna. It's a really brave thing to do. And on top of that, like there's something very real, regardless of what the issue you're talking about is when you say something out loud and I can imagine, I mean, talk about that being really brought to the next level when it's on television. Like automatically when something is put into the universe, the shame can kind of dissipate a little, you know, when you carry something and it's in silence and it's living in darkness in your head or in your mind or in your soul, that shame can sometimes unfortunately build. And so I agree with Renit. Oftentimes it can be one of the first steps of healing. And I don't know. I mean, I just, I have a lot of respect for anybody that shares that and especially Crystal in the way that she did, because then, you know, it's not just about like, there's three layers here. She had a triggering experience in Tahoe that caused her to not again, just to, like she said, to be very clear, like it wasn't like she reverted back to bulimia, but the whole experience made her lose her appetite a little. So that was thing one. Thing two, she brought it up at the party once she saw their congratulatory response. But then she had to go in her confessional and explain to the audience and to the producers the root of this and being in you know, eighth grade or whatever grade she was and watching that video for the first time and knowing that it was supposed to be a negative thing, but actually taking notes. 
Now you're getting into a whole other level of depth. Now you're getting into somebody that has to explain the root and the origin of their eating disorder. That was not necessarily something she intended on doing. And I will just continue to have a lot of respect for anybody that does that. Me too. The Kyle and Dorit thing, love them both. And they're two of my favorites. And I don't mean to downplay what this is because like, I get it. There are real friendship things that go on. I just can't take this that seriously. Yeah, I can't really either. And I think their friendship is way bigger and better than this fight. It it felt like a little bit nitpicky and almost overdone. Like they just made it way more dramatic than it needed to be. I think if they weren't on the show, it would have just been like, you really snapped at me on the plane. That wasn't cool. I'm sorry. But like it became so much bigger than it needed to be. I don't even want to give that much energy because I know they'll be moved on from it. Maybe they'll milk it for one more episode, but they really are really good friends and their husbands are best friends. They travel together. Like they love each other. And I just, this was not, not worth our time. Not worth our time, not worth their time. And it was so funny. I think it was Justin Sylvester that wrote on his story, like, tell me there's anything more relatable than PK in the car saying, you know, basically I'm pissed because we left before the food. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Like he wanted to stay. It was like a kid taking their – a mom taking their kid out of a birthday party. Like I want to stay longer. I know. I just don't need – like what we are experiencing with what is about to be the magnitude of the Erica stuff. Like I don't need a little bit of pettiness from Kyle and Dorit. Like I'm sorry you got into it on the plane. I'm sorry that you both love talking and – love you both, but are a little bit obsessed with yourselves. And so like, <laughs> it's, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. okay, let's, let's, let's move on here. Right. And like, maybe Kyle felt like after Dorit snapped at her on the plane like that, she didn't want to just like lie down and take it and look like she just lets her walk all over her. And she felt like she needed to say something, but like, ugh, uh, enough. Like we got to move on here. But, and by the way, that's mutual. I think like, yeah. I think they both have this like, because I, if if you asked me a few, I don't know, a few months ago, I would have said that Dorit always wants to make it very known that like she is not Kyle's bitch by any means, and like she will stand up to her, and sometimes people don't, but she will, and I think that that's true. But also, clearly, the reverse is applicable as well. Yeah, it's both very true, and I think Dorit had that more when she was like new on the show, and when she came in as LVP's friend, and then became such good friends with Kyle and the other girls, and like didn't want to make it like she was sucking up to them. And then now it's like a little bit more even. I don't know. The dynamics are just beyond crazy. Sutton's Parisian party. I mean, wow. <laughs> like they haven't even sat down for dinner yet. And they're just, when they're sitting in Kyle's old living room, which so much shit has gone down. Literally we saw Ken and Lisa screaming at Taylor Armstrong and Brandy in that room. Like the the memories come flooding back. So then to see Garcelle like talking about Tom Girardi in that room, I'm like, oh my God, if these four walls could talk. When Garcelle says, and I quote, shouldn't she have waited? And you see the delayed reaction from the women. That was one of the most brilliant television moments I've seen recently. Yeah. It was just pure brilliant. You know, you're watching them like this is a real group of friends literally talking about, holy shit, this news and also she's about to arrive here. Like, couldn't you almost feel what that energy must have been? Like, obviously I would say that most of us probably have not been in a situation where we're with other people being filmed on a show when our friend who's married to one of the highest power attorneys in Beverly Hills <laughs> is like being sued for severe fraud. Like, no, we don't know that feeling, but we do know the general anticipation that comes from somebody 
is about to enter the room who you know there's a lot going on with. And like, there's always that feeling that arises. So like, I was trying to envision what that must have felt like. Yeah, this is like a little bit of a niche situation that I think probably (laughs) I could say with good faith, everybody listening has not been in unless you're like Lisa Renna. Hi, Lisa. Um, (laughs) But the feeling of like you learn something about someone good or bad, whether it's divorce or death or that they're pregnant, like how are you going to greet them for the first time seeing them walk in the room? Everything has changed. So I think that they were just feeling like, let's debrief this before she gets here. I mean, of course it's like a production move that Erica gets there 20 minutes after everybody else, which was the right move. But you also could see Erica in the car, how nervous she is. And, you know, she makes eye contact with the camera at one point. And then we see her dramatic entrance. She looks perfect as usual, which I, you know, I think she literally will be glam on her deathbed. So this was not going to be an exception. And yeah, I just, I'm really excited to see that first minute of when they see her. Like, do they all run up and hug her? Like, what, what is that like? And what is Erica's demeanor like? When that shot of her with the cross behind her, that was chilling. Chilling. And her hand on the door. Oh, my God. Give these people a fucking Emmy. I know. It was really a lot. I don't know, guys. We're going to have to see. And, you know, it's like it's it's hard because on one hand, you're so caught up in the drama of the show and all of it. But at the same time, like we have to all continually remind ourselves as that documentary did, like, there are real people that were royally fucked by this man and that has to always be at the forefront, which it is. Yeah, of course. Doing your hair has the potential to be such a time-consuming process if you're not using products that really work for you and honestly really work with you. And for me, I'd say generally speaking, my hair is pretty easy to manage, but it does get frizzy. I have a lot of split ends. So I'm always looking for things to manage the frizz. And recently I've been into a new product from Way. It's their anti-frizz cream. So it's a really lightweight cream. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours and also heat protection up to 450 degrees. You're kind of killing two birds with one stone. And the thing I really like about it is that it helps reduce and repair split ends while quenching dry hair with intense hydration. So you can feel like it just feels good on your hair. For me, I get out of the shower. I always spray in the leave-in conditioner. I've told you guys about that before, but I love it. A little anti-frizz cream and you're good to go. I also, I mean, I love a lot of things from Way, but I like their detox shampoo. I don't use that every week, maybe once a week, maybe once every other week, but I feel like it gives my hair a really, really good clean. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter promo code CELEBS for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code CELEBS. Okay, moving on. Let's get into New York this week because it was just a roller coaster ride of an episode. Yeah, I got to I got to just get this out from the from the get-go. I feel like <laughs> I have a real heightened sense of like sympathy and awareness for anybody that's going that is grieving. I know what it's like. I fucking get it and you do get a free pass. I 100% feel that way and please know that everything I'm about to say is qualified by that statement. Like I get it. <laughs> you should have been in my house when my mom was dying. It's not an easy time. That being said, There is a certain way in which you interact with other human beings, no matter what you're going through, that I do think is a testament to your character. While you should not be judged for your behavior in certain moments, there's like a very underlying way that no matter what was going on, you either have it in you or you don't have it in you to say something like that. And 
I don't mean to sound harsh. I cannot get behind Leah. And I say that as somebody who's like not a Heather Thompson fan at all. I I was watching this entire episode and honestly the one from last week as well. And I was just like, I can't deal with this level of like abrasiveness. And I know she's going through, but I think that's just like really intertwined within her personality. It's a lot. <laughs> it's Is that, really- was that a really harsh way to start? Like, do you want me no, to redo it? <laughs> no, no, I, I agree with you. And that was kind of the thread of the episode was just like, I also think it was the way a lot of people were honestly feeling was just, it was a lot and it was hard to watch and hard to like, I don't know, listen to and see her interact with the other cast members. It was just, yeah, no, I agree with you completely. I couldn't get behind it. Like I just couldn't. It was, everything was so fucking intense. Yeah. it was, And that's why, let me just go off for one moment. That's why personally for me, it's just my opinion. I really felt like, and I think generally Ebony is very well received as she should be because she's fucking phenomenal. We could talk about that in a second. But the fact that I saw some people have like the audacity and I I use that word because I think it's accurate here. The audacity to say that like, you know, Ebony heightens these situations and she's making things about race when they're, they're not necessary and they're not needed to be in, you know, can't she just chill to me is, would generally be the most unfair criticism ever. But then on top of it, when you have Leah acting in the way that she's acting, it's like, are you guys watching the same show? Yeah, I know. It's it's true. Oh God, I fucking love Ebony. No. Oh my God, she's so good. No, she's, she's such a good housewife. So good. Everything about the way she handles its situations and confronts people and talks to people and welcomes people into her home and the way she like I just love her. I'm sorry. I am obsessed with her and she's truly like she just gets them so fast. Like she understands people so quickly and she can adjust quickly to understanding Sonia, understanding Ramona. Like I, she has every good quality that a housewife needs. She has all of them. She does because it's so true. It's like, we always talked about this before, especially in New York, I would say when they are so off their rockers at times and you can't even believe that some of these conversations like are happening. Like, you know, the Ramona, Luann, Sonia, who I adore, sometimes you just feel like you're in another world. Yeah. So for Ebony to come in with like this level-headed perspective that speaks to what the audience is feeling is amazing. But on top of it, I don't think it can be ignored that like her history of being in front of the camera aids in how good she is because her confessional timing is up there with like the best of the best. She just knows how to work a camera and it's so clear. I think the key to any good season of Housewives of New York is that you need someone in the group who's the one person pulling everyone back down to earth. And for a while it was Bethany who would be like, "Are you? is everyone hearing this? I think Heather and Carol kind of had that element to them too. And then I think last season everyone felt it was Leah, like at certain points that she was kind of like the one, you know, just the one to like kind of bring everyone back to reality and and call everyone on their bullshit. But now Leah has like kind of gone to the other side and Ebony is probably the best one we've ever seen to kind of be the narrator. Like we always say, there's always a narrator and she's the narrator, but she's also like the middle, like she's the grounding force. So I, I'm just so appreciative that she's on. I think she brings every element of entertainment, but also drama, but also like having the real conversations that we need. And it's just, it's magic to watch. 
So the weather is finally getting a little warmer. And one of the most fun parts about the seasons changing is kind of the wardrobe revamp that comes along with that. And if you're looking to update your wardrobe without spending a fortune, I want to introduce you to Quince because I really think that they do quality essentials kind of better than anyone I found. And I've told you guys about them before, but specifically as the weather is getting warmer, their linen dresses, like such an easy throw on, so comfortable, such good quality. To me, if you put on a linen dress with a pair of white sneakers, a little cardigan over your shoulders, to me, that is such a chic look. Also, their washable silk blouses. They are so comfortable, but you look so put together. They have great like scoop neck t-shirts, just comfortable, easy staples. Like that is what I like about them. I think that you can really build just a quality wardrobe collection with their essentials. And the best part is that all Quinn's items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. So by partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and then passes those savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. Get warm rather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash CBC for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash CBC to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash CBC. Let's just talk things through. Here, Here's my thing. We have said for weeks now, starting with, I think it was the Burning Man party, you know, there's a general aura of kind of sadness that is surrounding this season. Don't get me wrong. I loved watching this 70s Halloween pageant party. I thought it was entertaining and fun. And I I really do feel like they're doing their best in, in the time of COVID. But it's still, I don't know if it's just me, that like level of sadness and, and kind of... Um, depressing fillers was underlying for me. It was definitely subliminal throughout all of these kind of adventures. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot of sadness coming. I, again, I say, especially while I'm simultaneously rewatching old seasons of housewives to see how organic the trips and the interactions came and that everyone didn't need to be involved in everyone and things didn't need to be set up in order to create like conversation and reactions it's not the women's fault. It's a lot of production and also just the way that the show and our like savvy as audience has evolved over time. Like the whole idea of reality TV has changed, but I feel like specifically in this franchise, in this season, it's coming out so much where everything feels so heavily produced and just like they're just sticking a bunch of women in a van and seeing what happens as opposed to watching what they really would do every day. And I, I don't know, the, this, the pageant felt, it felt really sad to me. It felt really sad. Although I was absolutely, like I was losing it from Ramona. I was outwardly laughing. I couldn't believe that that was real. I, those moments that I really was just grateful for Ramona Singer, few and far between, but it was there. But I, like just one final thing with, when it comes to the Lee and Heather stuff, on a very basic level, I agree with Leah that Heather can come across as like kind of preachy. I like I said, I've never really gravitated towards her. I don't I don't dislike her or anything. It just I get what I get what Leah means. She does have that air about her. That being said, her reaction, which as she, you know, she apologized for it, was so unwarranted. But then when they were alone in the bus, that's when it really came to a head of like, this is not a good situation. And like for your own sanity, I really need you to leave. Like, I really don't want you to be putting yourself in this. It's not fair. I literally felt like it was almost, you know, like 
sadistic the fact that she, for her own sake you know like yeah. i being if, if being on this bus or being in this general vicinity with heather thompson is causing you this much fury at such a fragile time in your life i promise you swinging the hula hoops is just not worth it it's not worth it this whole i really like the leah and heather interactions were giving me anxiety out of control <laughs> right like even if you're not a heather fan you're like okay this is this is insane. And by the way, I didn't think like I know Ebony says that she may have misspoke a little and and maybe she didn't say exactly what happened, which like okay, fine, fair. That's a point that that she did wrong. Number 1, every housewife in the history of housewives tells each other what the other one said. That's just how this shit goes down and that's very normal. And second of all, even if it was what she said, even if Heather really did say what she said, it still didn't justify that level of a reaction. No, it didn't at all. It was like, it was like, really, I was like, holy shit. No, this whole episode, like, was just a lot of, leading up to the party at Ebony's, it was a lot of fluff. And it was a lot of things that I just felt like were so in the moment and weren't going to actually go anywhere else. Does that make sense? Like, it just was like, I I didn't even want to give it my energy. Yeah, but we had to. We had to. Of course. We always I did. I just had to get out of I just had to get out of the Hamptons. I was like, you know what? We had a good time here and I would love more than anything to just get back to Manhattan. I feel the way that like we felt last week when we just wanted to get home. Like you are over the hump of it being like fun and exciting to be away where you're like you've crossed into the territory of I got to get home. I was saying to Julie on last week's episode that like when we landed at JFK, it was really remarkable feeling like I I could sense it between all of us. And I feel like if I'm Heather, for example, or if I'm Ebony, I am crossing the GWB and really feeling like I'm in heaven. Okay. But we weren't even sick of each other. Imagine if we were fucking over each other, how even more we would have felt that. Oh yeah. We were just, (laughs) yeah, we were like, we still wanted to hang out. Like we wanted to have a sleepover. We just were happy to be home. Yeah. (laughs) It's a little different. It's just different in that way. No, it's very different in that way, obviously. Um, so, okay, we find out obviously that you know Leah texts the group, and her grandmother passed away, and she unfortunately didn't get to see her before she passed. Which I, I agree with. I forget which one of them said it. Like initially, I can understand how upsetting that is. I think there's a part of her that probably, as time goes on, may realize that that was actually more beneficial because she can have a specific memory of her that she would have been stripped of if she did get to speak with her when she was, you know, nonverbal. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously that was emotional and, and seeing Ramona and Luann react to that in that moment was like so classic. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but Ramona oftentimes does this thing. And I do think it really does come from a good place where like she, she needs to fill the space. So she thinks she needs to say something. And so oftentimes her inability to kind of just like sit in silence or sit in discomfort can breed really unfortunate, um, decisions or or ways in which you portray something and so to have Luann there that was like you know what it's okay maybe just don't say anything for a moment such a small little gesture that to us seems so normal but Ramona really needs permission to just sit in discomfort and I'm so glad that Luann was there for that moment because if you're Leah not that you're ever taking what Ramona says to heart you don't need somebody even kindly to make you feel worse for doing something you already feel bad about and like I just really was grateful for Luann's presence in that moment. Yeah. Ramona's always trying to fill the space and it doesn't give her a beat to think. 
And, you know, not that I think even having a beat to think will change necessarily what she says that's good or bad, but sometimes it's just the right thing to do. Yeah. But you, you, yeah. And she wouldn't have if Luann wasn't there. No, thank God. So when Ebony comes downstairs and they're having that conversation and, you know, Heather apologizes to her about the articulate comment and she kind of handles it again, just like masterfully. And she then brings up the fact that she may have a sister who's her father's daughter, but she doesn't know her father for sure. It's not something her mother is really comfortable with exploring the paternity. And she's explaining, you know, this woman says that there was a photo of her on her grandmother's mantle her whole life. And she's sitting there kind of letting the women and the audience in on the fact that we're, I think, about to go on this very deep journey with her was like pretty wild. It was, it was, especially like, I don't know. I think she was just trying to share something that was going on in her life. And I'm glad that she did. Yeah. Like, but that's the other thing about her. Sometimes you get a housewife that comes on and they're just so good because they have this extravagance or they have this humor. And so they don't need to go deep because it works. Whereas Ebony, she does both. Yep. Get you a girl who could do both. (laughs) Literally. So we're at Ebony's election party. We're in Harlem Things are going well. Everybody's getting along. Sonia comes in having the great time. I also just want to like say before we get into her actual comment, I'm really enjoying the evolution of Sonia and Ebony's relationship. I know. I love it. It's really cute. Something we actually didn't even talk about was how Ebony decided to like take the reins and say, you know what? Let me try to have a handle on her dating life and calls her friend who's a professional matchmaker. I mean, all these other women are all talk. Meanwhile, she's the one that's like, you know what? Let me actually try to make a real step to fulfill you in that way that you want to be fulfilled. I know. And what a, like a compliment to Sonia. Like, I want to help you and I'm going to reach out and ask a favor of my friend. And I really think you could find someone. And I think this is the, like, what a nice gift. One note I just want to say about election parties, because we're seeing them in both cities this week, is I just cannot imagine hosting a whole party and watching the election. Like with all these other women who may or may not have different beliefs than you, like that is a risky operation. And thinking about what my state of mind was on election night, having a party with all these different people around just sounds like the worst idea. So then the fact that both cities right now had these parties with all of them together, I was like, oh my God, you guys, like this is not good. Have we not learned from Carol Radswell's celebration of Hillary Clinton that went wrong. Yeah, but the only thing is they got the the gift of having it extended so Yeah. Like there was still a li- I agree with you cuz there was still that mounting anxiety, but they kind of quickly realized it wasn't going to be called that night, which actually yes was more stressful but was a blessing in terms of these parties. It was a blessing in terms of parties. It was not a blessing in terms of like our country. No. <laughs> <laughs> you got to keep your priorities. Yeah. So this is when Sonia kind of hits them with the fact that she did not like Ramona posting Ebony on Instagram because she finds it very manipulative. And I quote, I found it very manipulative because my girl Ramona is the master of manipulation. And she posted, I'm always up for meeting new girls. And she posted a photo of you. And guess what? I would not post a new friend. I don't like it. And everybody's kind of reading between the lines. Luann's like, well, I think she's saying that she posted with an agenda. And... Sonia's like, I don't like wearing causes as a handbag. And Ebony's like, okay, let me just get this straight. Are you saying you think she posted me on her grid because I'm a black woman and that kind of shows that she's not racist? And they're all like, yes, that is exactly what we're saying. 
this was like, first of all, so insightful of Sonia. And also I'm happy that she said it out loud because it's, it's not often that she goes against Ramona when Ramona's not sitting there. So for her to bring this up, I think shows how much she cares about Ebony, but also shows how much has really pissed her off and how she could see right through Ramona the way that we all can. And, you know, sometimes we don't give Sonia enough credit for that, especially with Ramona, because I think sometimes she just blindly is loyal to her. But Ramona pisses her off and this pissed her off. And I was glad she brought up the issue. And I was glad that Luann and Leah agreed with her because I think when she said it like that, I was like, you know what, Sonia? You're fucking right. I think Sonia's overall view on things this whole episode, even in her confessionals, felt really like together and, and educated. And like this, you know, even in this moment at the election party, I think she was a little bit maybe tipsy, but her point was just excellent. Well, yeah, you can't believe this is the same woman yelling about JP Morgan at a bar <laughs> in Sack Harbor. Like, yes, exactly. I know. But the thing that I will say, I don't know. I don't think I can make the assertion that she wouldn't have made this point anyway. But like you said, it is kind of a big deal for her to go against Ramona when Ramona's not there. And I think, while I do think she fundamentally disagreed and so she may have said that anyway, I don't know if the two can be separated in the sense of she clearly feels a mounting level of loyalty and attachment to Ebony because Ebony is really seeing her for like her best parts and really giving her her worth when it, she has taken it from herself actually. And so when you feel that level of safety and that level of like comfort from someone else and you're like, wow, this person sees me, this person celebrates me and this person is giving me the ultimate compliment of wanting to set me up and like wanting to invest in me, you automatically grow a sense of protection over them. Like now she feels like, hold on, I need to have Ebony's back in the way that she's having mine. And so I don't know if Ebony wasn't as kind and warm and just like deep with Sonia, if Sonia would have even felt compelled to say this about Ramona, even if she felt it. Do you know what I mean? Of course. But I'm glad that they got to the place where Sonia felt it was necessary. And also it seemed to be bothering her enough that I, I don't know. I think it could have come out in one way or another. Maybe it would have come out of as her confronting Ramona about it instead of saying it directly to Ebony and the rest of the women kind of behind Ramona's back. But I do think when something's really bothering Sonia, at one point or another in some sort of altered state sometimes, it does come out. Yeah, I think so too. I definitely think so too. And she made a comment, something of like, listen, I – if anybody outside of this group said anything about Ramona, I would kill them. It's kind of like, you can say whatever you want about your sister, but if somebody else says it, it's like, fuck you kind right, of vibe. Right, exactly. Which is like, I weird. can say she's being annoying or doing something wrong, but you can't. Yeah, exactly. I want to just quickly talk about Heather on Watch What Happens and also on Instagram. Is that okay with you? Yeah, this this comment exchange like really was, I guess, surprising after even more after seeing the episode. Well, right, because your entire time you think that, you know, Leah and Heather really have it out for each other. And then all of a sudden, Heather's seemingly coming for Ebony. Right. And also just the way that the whole apology went down. And I don't know. It just, let's read what happened. Basically, somebody commented and said, Ebony needs to go. She doesn't fit in and she's a race baiter. And Heather responds and says, I have to agree with you. Hers is not a class I want to take. But then she also is on Watch What Happens Live. 
And she basically read a speech apologizing to anyone she's hurt. And part of it, and I quote, I would also like to express my gratitude to Ebony. I was really humbled and inspired by her willingness to expend her time and energy and hold me accountable, but also hold me close during periods of false lessons and growth. In trying to do good, I also caused harm. My role that weekend in the microaggressive remarks that I made must open our eyes to the reality of privilege. A few other things, but that was like the brunt of it. But I was just like, okay, where is that aligning now with this comment? Right. I don't know what happened between like the episode and then this speech because her speech on Watch What Happens Live, I would think like was a good apology. I don't I don't know if Ebony has responded to it yet, but I don't know. The whole thing was just like really just disappointing. And I just always thought Heather was way like more educated and understanding than this. And it's like, it's a little bit sad, especially on social media where you have the ability to respond or not. And this was not a comment I would think she would pick out to respond. Yeah. Because I think also the the issue with social media is like, she's not like if you're looking at this just strictly strategically, she's not really doing herself a favor because so many people that are viewing it and that are talking about it and that it's going to be reported on are lacking context. And she doesn't have like a long enough form there to explain what she meant. Even if you and I are sitting here like in full disagreement with her, if I'm her, if I'm going to express my point, I may as well want to do it in a way where like people can understand where I'm coming from. Whereas a one-line response to a comment who's clearly hateful, you're not doing yourself any favors. Right. And you have the just, you have the choice right there to respond or not, and or maybe find another comment that aligns more, or just don't say anything at all, or write your own comment. So, yeah, I I really just did not like that when I saw it. Anything else you would like to add about anything? What a crazy week! How good does it feel to be back? It feels really good, and so much is happening. I'm just like I can't wait for the next couple of weeks and what's going on. I think All Stars is coming really soon. I think we'll find out who the new women cast on OC are. And wow, what a ride, kid. I know. I really just want to tell you, I'm really excited to fall in love or hopefully fall in love with OC again. You know, like I really, that was my introduction to Housewives. That was Tammy and and Lynn Curtin and those, like that was, I lived for that shit when I was growing up. I know. So I just am excited to hopefully have that back. Me too. Because- Last season, I had pretty much said, I will give up hope forever. But with Heather Dubrow, you know, that is definitely the one thing that could draw me back. We straight up stopped watching pretty much. Like, I personally don't even know if bringing Vicky and or Tamara back would draw me in enough, but Heather definitely does. Yeah. No, I I love Heather, but Tamara would do it for me. Yeah, I, I guess you're right. <laughs> Fine. You caught me. <laughs> Okay, we love you guys so much. Oh my God, there's so many noises outside. I hope they're not being picked up. (laughs) We love you guys so much. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. Thank you for processing this with us. And just thank you for everything. We are so unbelievably lucky. Like I say it and I mean it every single time. 